Our second reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the 16th chapter, beginning with the 13th verse. Let us continue listening now for a word from God. Now when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed. In heaven. And then Jesus ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we pray for your spirit to visit us now that through its work, the words of my mouth and indeed the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here in this space, in this church, might be pleasing in your sight. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this past Tuesday at our monthly session meeting, the session and the Presbyterian tradition is the lay body that helps to govern and lead the spiritual and practical life of the church. I led the elders through a devotional exercise that included this story about Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln, as president, enjoyed slipping into the Wednesday night worship services at New York Avenue Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C. New York, D.C., I know, confusing. It's there. It's still there, just a few blocks from Pennsylvania Avenue. Lincoln, though, was Lincoln, and he didn't want to disrupt the worship with his presence. And so oftentimes he would slip into the pastor's study, which was right next to the sanctuary, and he would listen to the worship from there. On one of these Wednesday nights, a young aide who would often come along with him was there in the study, and they listened to the worship and to the sermon from the pastor, who at the time was a man named Dr. Gurley. And afterwards, the aide asked Lincoln how he liked the sermon. And Lincoln replied, saying, I thought the sermon was well thought through, it was powerfully delivered, and very eloquent. And the young aide replied, saying, Then you thought it was a great sermon. And Lincoln answered his question, saying, No. Actually, I thought the sermon failed. The sermon failed because it failed to ask us to do anything great. Dr. Gurley did not ask us 
to do something great. So here we are on this second to last Sunday in this series on God's vocabulary, sitting with the word church. And I do think, like the kids and I talked about, that church evokes many different images for all of us. Many of us, I think, think about a building like this one. We think about the beautiful facade of our church facing out to King's Way. Some of us, of course, think about the faces and the people who fill our church week after week, day after day. Some of us perhaps think of the programs that fill that back page of the bulletin or about what we're doing here now, worship, each week. But when was the last time any of us thought about church as being the place that calls us to do, to proclaim, to live, to do something great? After we read this story, I asked the elders, I asked them, so what do you all think, St. Simon's Presbyterian Church, what great thing or things do you think that we are being called to do? And I had some answers already in my head, right? I thought I was going to get answers like, I think we're called to recruit 20 more PAL mentors this year. I think we're called to expand our hunger action team ministry to serve even more kids in our community. I think we're called to grow our worship attendance or launch a new program or expand the number of hours that we devote through our bridge mission program each year. But none of that was spoken. The very first response to that question, what great thing? do you think St. Simon's Presbyterian Church is called to do? The very first response an elder gave was that we are a church who is called to teach people about God's love for all. In this divided world, we are a place that should teach people about God's love for all God's children. It's like a light went off in my head and pieces fell into place because it made me realize that we as a church, we can have well thought through programs, can't we? We can have powerful worship and eloquent preaching and and a growing budget and new members joining each month. But if we are a church who fails to build all of those things on a foundation, an understanding that we do it all, for the purposes of teaching and telling others about God's love for them, then in some very real way, we fail at being church. So when people ask me about my call to ministry, I typically explain that it wasn't like a Moses burning bush or a mountaintop lightning smoke, that kind of experience. It was really more of this long, drawn-out, gradual awakening to a sense of call to ministry. But the story, every time I tell it, it begins in the same place. It begins in the place I was talking to the kids about here this morning. It begins in the church where I grew up. When I graduated from high school, I had spent almost 18 years, give or take a few years, of my life in that one church. And when I left for college, I could tell you almost nothing about the Bible. How many Gospels? One, two, three? Three? 
Old, New Testament. It's not that they weren't teaching it to me. I just wasn't paying attention, right? I was sort of your classic middle school, high school boy. I went off to college and I really couldn't have told you with much depth about the Bible or theology. But what I could tell you is that my church that I was raised in, it taught me two things. It taught me first that church is the place where I can be myself, which is pretty incredible because if you knew me in the seventh grade, (laughs) you might have wished I was not myself then. But it was this place where every time I walked through those doors, I knew I could be myself and someone would love me. And through that experience, it taught me this other sort of fundamental, deeply held belief and understanding about just who God is. I couldn't tell you about the Gospels. I couldn't tell you which epistles were likely Pauline and which weren't. But I could tell you that God, at the deepest level, God loved me. And it was that deep belief that then caused me to be curious about what more there might be. The church being the place that told me that I was loved by God. It's what ended up calling me to do something great with my life. And I'm not saying ministry is the only great thing, but it was this this thing that, that led me to follow my call. Because the church was the place where I was told I was loved. I heard this story once about Michelangelo, the sculptor, not the turtle. I tried that joke out at 8.30. It didn't (laughs) stick too much. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. All right. So Michelangelo, the sculptor, one day was seen rolling this giant stone down his street. And one of his neighbors who was sitting lazily on the porch and watching Michelangelo roll the stone down the street, he called out to him to inquire about why Michelangelo was laboring so over this old piece of stone. And Michelangelo is reported to have answered, because there is an angel in that rock that wants to come out. That's not a bad description for church. Here we are, all of us, this collection of imperfect, flawed stones. Some of us older than others, yes. But here we are, this collection of old stones. And we come to this place where week after week, day after day, we're chiseled away at with this thing called God's grace. Until one day, the thing that God knew was there all along, finally begins to emerge. I mean, that's Peter's story, right? Peter is the main character in this gospel reading from Matthew today. Peter is this deeply flawed character, is how he's portrayed in the gospels, right? Take your pick of the story. Mount of Transfiguration, Peter and the other disciples, they follow Jesus up there. Some crazy stuff goes down, and they're like, this is pretty sweet. Let's build a house Never go back down. Let them figure things out on their own. That's Peter. Peter is the one who begins to sink because he gets afraid when Jesus walks out to him on water. Peter is the one who in just a few chapters will deny Jesus three times. Peter is this incredibly flawed character who Jesus, even when he's hard on him, Jesus insists 
on loving anyways. And it's that relentless love of Peter and the Gospels that eventually forges this person of courage and determination and longing to follow Jesus, even long after Jesus was gone, even in the face of incredible persecution and hardship in the early church. The world opens up the Gospels, and we read of this person, of Peter, and all we see is this old stone. But God, God sees this rock upon which the church itself can be built. Church needs to be that place for us. I know we gather here, right, in a small community in particular, and we look around and we see a lot of old stones. Can you believe what that person over there posted on Facebook last week? I saw that person talking to so-and-so at Harris Teeter. Harris Teeter is where it all goes down around here, isn't it? You won't believe what that person said to me five years ago. Right? We gather in this place and we see all these old stones. But God sees angels. Now, before you roll your eyes, I'm not necessarily talking about the halo and wings. I'm talking about God looks down and sees people with hearts that are bent. They just need to be tuned a little towards greatness. Hearts that are capable of doing great things. That's what church is. It's that collection of hearts that God sees and that God notices and that God sees the possibilities in. So yes, church is a building. We need a place where we can come and baptize, where we can come and marry and bury and teach and preach and sing and fellowship It's really sad to me to think about a community where there are no churches because church, the physical space, it serves that important purpose. But church is also that place that needs to be about the work that Michael read for us from Isaiah, where Isaiah speaks of the collection of God's people who are called to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to to give release to all of those who sit in darkness. That's what church is called to be, to feed the poor, to care for the sick, to lift up the downtrodden, to sit with the lonely, to sow unity over discord in a world where there's such discord. To be people, in other words, who gather week in and week out to answer that question, whether we realize it or not, that we are all asking in some way that very same question from Matthew's story, who do you say I am? We are the people who are called to answer that question with the only answer that we all know to be true. You are love. Friends, I can think of no greater work that any of us can possibly be called to than to be people who, though we are stones, contain an immense promise to go out into the world 
and to do all we do as a church from that foundational place of people who answer the question, who know that we are loved, and so are you. For that good news, we give thanks to God this day and forevermore. Amen.